All things automotive with the petrol head, Niku Smith. Absolutely. And also, um, just before I speak uh, to Nika, well, we asked a question and it seems like no one really got that one where we said, guess the destination, a little village known for its historic stone, 30 kilometers east of Pretoria. Where are we today? And the answer is obviously Kalinan. The town is famous for the discovery of what became known as the Kalinan Diamond, the largest rough gem quality diamond ever found. The stone was named after Sir Thomas Cullinan, who owned the diamond mine at that time. Don't I just wish it was me? Maybe in another lifetime. But for now, Nico is online, our petrol head. Good morning, Nico. Good morning, Bertha. How are you? I'm well. I'm fantastic. Let's talk about the cars. All right. So uh, tell me, what, are you, what is your feeling about electric cars? We talk about electric cars all the time. I think sometimes people get a bit tired of that, seeing that they still cost a lot. Um, uh, but what is your feeling on, about electric cars? What would you say? How would you feel about it? So, you know, initially I was excited, initially. And mm-hmm. at the present moment, I'm a little bit disturbed because of load shedding. How then am <laughs> I going to power my car? That is my big question. But otherwise, under general, look, I've, I've, tr- I've driven one. They're actually quite good. And, 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 and power-wise, they're actually not bad. And I drove a Tesla, an electric Tesla, and I, I thoroughly oh. enjoyed it. Yes, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But then with the power issues in Africa, I don't know. How are we going to do this, Nicole? Well, that's a good question. So um, I think that definitely becomes, it hasn't been an issue before with two hours load shedding. And even with the current load shedding, you, I, can, I think you can still get by charging your car home because obviously the exercise is about where you charge the car. And I actually have a Jaguar I-Pace, so... Um, I'm going to, going to see today, I'm going to find a shopping center where there's a fast charger or a DC charger, and we'll see how that goes um, when I charge the car there. But the interesting why I ask you that is that um, my feeling is that car manufacturers are forced in that direction um, simply by um, the, the, the legislation, depending, I, I would almost say, the continent where they are. Let me give you an idea. So recently, Tesla um, CEO Elon Musk, he complimented Ford on their electric car strategy. And they said, you guys are doing really great. I think, you know, you, you're going really well with your electric cars. But what's interesting is that they are losing 40% um, per car on average. So for every electric car it sells, it loses 40%. Um, in other words, they're not making money on the electric cars. They're actually losing money. Oh, my um, goodness. They're saying in future, maybe they'll, they'll start losing only 20% uh, margin per car. So um, I read somewhere else a while back, uh, it was, I think, Volkswagen and Volvo that said it cost them three times as much to make a small car electric versus, let's imagine a Polo, and you made an electric Polo. The cost would be three times as much to make an electric Polo versus having one that's um, petrol or diesel, internal combustion. Tesla is one that's making money on their cars. So they're saying they're making about 15 to 25% per each car. Um, but their cars definitely have some quality issues. Um, uh, but apart from that, the cars are very popular. I mean, Tesla worldwide is selling lots of cars. So that's, for, I think, something already to think about is the fact that car makers aren't necessarily making lots of money per electric car. Um, and that's probably why a lot of them are, folk, you know, that's why the costs are so high. We say, why isn't there a cheap car, an electric car that only costs us 400,000 rands or 300,000 rands? But I think the, the problem is also the materials that go into electric cars. Um, and a lot of these materials are very rare materials, and that makes it quite difficult to make an electric car when the, the materials come only from a few 
uh, countries in the world, and the cost in mining those is a lot. So, you know, those are also questions to ask about electric cars. So even though the car itself um, has no emissions, to get there, you have things like lithium, cobalt, nickel, manganese, uh, manganese aluminium that go into the electric cars, and, and there's, a, there's a high cost for that. And there, as a balance, but the, I think because the car manufacturers are sort of forced in that direction with emissions, that, you know, that becomes a difficult question. Mm. You know, I don't understand, Nico, because, you know, in, in, in Africa, a lot of a lot has been happening. So I came across mm. an article from the United Emirates where basically they are even ad- advancing further in terms of electric cars where the car is going to be charged as it drives. So it charges from the tar. I don't know how they're going to do this. But yeah, in- I think that, that, that's not so, so things that are not really a possibility. They have tested a road. Uh, well, I actually spoke about it a while back in, in, in Netherlands. They had a road that I think one kilometer of the road, actually you could drive and charge because you've got to get the energy into the car. Um, and the way to do that is that they had, um, uh, um, you know, like a, uh, if you take your phone, those track, the, the charging pads that you, um, inductive charging, you put the phone down and it starts charging on that inductive charging pad. Mm-hmm. That's how that road works. So in the case of that road, they effectively was like a very long inductive charging pad. That, um, and then you had something in the car that had to be close to the road, and that's how that system could work. So as you were driving, you could charge the car. But the cost is so high that it's not really practical. Uh, some manufacturers have even tried you know, your home charging where they have these pads. You stop in that garage. And then this pad lifts against the engine. And again, like you put your cell phone down, it starts charging. But um, I haven't seen that really with production cars with car manufacturers. So it doesn't seem to, they can't seem to get it right. The same applies with solar. Um, solar, uh, you don't really get a lot of energy from solar. Um, there's one car manufacturer that has solar panels all over the car, um, and, and, but that car's very expensive. So, of course, manufacturers are also looking at other ways to, to be ahead of the competition. And the, the, the big advances are effectively on battery technology uh, and um, improving the range of the batteries. And that's one of the big focuses. Um, and then, of course, bringing the cost down. Because, again, if, if car manufacturers aren't making costs on the cars, it's for them problematic. But, in, yeah, so that's the first feeling on that. I don't know what you think. Mm. And also, you know what, um, talking about lithium, I mean, I know that um, in the northwest um, area, apparently they found um, lithium as well as in Zimbabwe. So for us to even worry about the expense of the cars, shouldn't we be more excited to say, okay, fine, guys, we've got the resources. This is going to make yep. our manufacturing even cheaper. Mm, I think that there's definitely, uh, if you're finding these materials that go into batteries for a, con- a country's economy, that would be great. But again, there are limited stocks of those materials as well. So that's also something to consider. Is the, you know, and also, do we actually then just mine the material or do we develop it? So does it just literally from here, they mine it and it goes somewhere else and, and that goes through the process of going to the battery. So in other words, do we actually, where does a you know, making the money, where does it eventually lie? Does it go back to the country's economy? That's really the question I ask. You know, if we sort of, on the same vein, this week, the BMW boss, they um, said that um, in Europe, they have emission standards. So the current one is Euro 6, which is a very strict emission standard. And the idea is to really take car manufacturers to task and say, you know what, whatever's coming out of the exhaust of your car, keep it as low as possible. Because of the year six emissions, some engines don't simply come to South Africa because it also relies on very clean petrols and very clean diesels, which we don't have. So 
that then unfortunately limits us to the cars we have because the emission standards in Europe are very strict. In South Africa, I mean, you drive behind cars and it's just black or white smoke blowing out. And I don't think we really worry as much. But the next Euro um, standard is Euro 7. And the BMW boss said, listen, this Euro 7 standard is unrealistic. Um, you're creating unrealistic driving situations and you're making it almost impossible for car manufacturers to, to get there. So it's, it feels to me like a bit of a balancing act because obviously in Europe, they're trying to say, let's keep the emissions as low as possible. But the car manufacturers are saying, you know, some of the things, for what instance, one test says, you've got to drive up a steep hill with a car loaded full of people and carrying a trailer uh, in minus seven degrees, and you've got to accelerate as hard as you can up the hill, and you measure the emissions from the car, which of course is going to be high, and that's part of the test. So um, some of the things are good. I, I think if, if they're saying, you know, they are also looking at... Um, fine brake, in other words, the, 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 the wear from brakes and the wear from tires as part of the emissions. So I, I don't know exactly where this is going, but the idea, of course, is good to say, keep emissions low that, that go from cars, but sometimes they also make it so difficult for the car manufacturers that they've got to focus somewhere else. So I don't know the answers, but these are the questions. Well, we'll keep on having those conversations until we find the answers. So, <laughs> so Cindy in Johannesburg says, what is more preferable uh, for longevity between an automatic and a manual car? That's a fabulous question. Um, it actually depends uh, a little bit on your driving, and it depends uh, on, on the type of gearbox you have. So if you have a manual car and your driving technique is quite good, manual cars, um, could last, the clutch could last a long time. So the thing that wears out is that connection between your engine and your gearbox, and that's called the clutch, which is, think of two plates pushing against each other. Now, they've got to push firmly against each other. Um, so if you have a bit of a bad driving technique, in other words, you always got the clutch sort of half in, half out. You always we call that riding the clutch, or you're stopping on a hill and you've got a bit of accelerator, a bit of accelerator, uh, or a bit of gas, a bit of accelerator, so the car doesn't roll back. That's actually wearing the clutch. And in instances like that, the clutch won't last that long. If you look at the type of automatic, um, there's three basic types. There's a CVT uh, type gearbox. You get that in uh, car manufacturers like Nissan or Toyota uses CVTs as one example. Um, and those are as a clutch that connects engine and gearbox and a set of cones that vary effectively almost the ratio. The twin clutch gearboxes themselves are very susceptible to bad driving. If your driving technique isn't great, the, the twin clutches as well, some of them might actually burn the clutches. So again, if you're stopping with a twin-clutch gearbox on a hill and a bit of gas, just so the car doesn't roll back, that's actually sort of creating wear on, 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 on the clutches. If you have a torque-converted gearbox, those are extremely reliable. Um, think of it like a Tiptronic or a Stiptronic. Um, those are some of the brand names for those gearboxes. And if it's a torque converter, they rob a little bit of power from the engine, but it's effectively two fans and oil. And they are extremely reliable. They last for a very long time. So... If it's a, any type like that, it'll last you. So if I have to rank them, and this is my, my opinion, the, the most reliable probably would be a Tiptronic gearbox, then a manual gearbox if your driving technique is good, um, and then only the, the, the things like the twin-clutch gearbox. So even though they are sporty, um, they are, as I said, susceptible to bad driving technique. 
And uh, just to let our listeners know that uh, keep sharing your thoughts and your questions. Send us your voice notes on 0614104107. Um, chatting to our petrol head, that's Nico Smith, and trying to find means and ways, which ones are the best cars, which ones are fuel um, efficient, and is it also good to drive a diesel car or a petrol car, which is my next question, Nico. When you purchase a car, are you better off with a diesel car or a petrol car? Well, um, it depends on what you want to do with the car um, and the type of vehicle you buy. And also, I would say the cost. So if you look at two cars and they're standing on the floor and one's a petrol and one's a diesel, you know, they have different characteristics. Petrols sound great. They normally sound very sporty when you rev them high and they have a very sporty feeling and they feel you revving. So they sound great, um, especially in the bigger motors. Um, but if, if it's a bigger petrol engine, it can um, have quite high fuel consumption. Diesel cars don't always, especially from the outside, might not sound nice. They're not free revving, so you can't really get high revs from them. But they have very high or very high torque. Um, in other words, that means makes them very drivable. So the benefit of diesel cars is that they're very light on fuel. Um, and of course, even if you load the people and family and luggage in there, the performance doesn't really diminish. It, it almost gets still feels the same. It, it's not a big difference in the performance um, because the, of that hard talk. So if you're really looking for fuel consumption and a petrol and a diesel car cost exactly the same, that's where I would, you know, I personally love diesel cars. My, I currently have a diesel car. Um, and when I fill it up, if I fill up the tank, uh, it's an SUV, it tells me I can go a thousand kilometers. And on the road, I'm regularly getting below six. If I'm driving on the highway, I can get below six liters per hundred kilometers, which is very good. For, for uh, an SUV type car. So if you look at the sedan, some of the diesel sedans, um, and I'm talking about um, you know, a high-performance diesel, a BMW, Audi, Mercedes-Benz, those two-liter diesel cars can get below five liters. I've driven like the new C-Class. I've got 4.8 liters per kilometers. So um, you can really get low fuel consumption, but you can also get a similar thing if you have a small little petrol turbo. So one-liter turbo petrol um, and there's quite a few little small hatches that have those engines. And they're also very light on fuel because it's, you know, some of them are only three cylinders. But with a turbo, you get fairly good performance, but you get good, good fuel consumption. Where you're not going to win is when you start getting to two-liter petrols or three-liter petrols or four-liter petrols. Last night, we were taking a walk, and there was a, a, a big V8 Jeep. Um, and it, uh, the car sounds fabulous. It, you know, the rattling, you know, when the car goes by, it sounds great, but you're probably looking for the next filling station because those cars are quite heavy on fuel. So uh, it's a big decision which to make. But, you know, nowadays also, I guess, thinking about it, you also have to look at the price of petrol versus diesel. And if petrol is also per litre a lot more expensive versus diesel, then, you know, the, then the math becomes, hang on, which one's going to be the best for me? Mm. But at the end of the day, you've got to drive the one you like. If you hate diesels, don't drive them. If you hate petrols, don't drive them. If you can't afford it. Look, I, I, I also drive a diesel car, but the suit, each time <laughs> when I take off, it's like I'm on fire. <laughs> it's like all the other drivers behind me look at me like, oh, my goodness, ma'am, you could be on fire right now. But, hey, I know why. I know why. That's for me to fix on my own. So let's talk about tires, for instance. Yeah, mm. Nico. I, I, you know, when you have, there's so many potholes and we struggle with, um, you know, but, uh, tire punctures. Or, yeah. Mm. And I have seen when you go, let's say, to a, a service station, they always recommend it. Let's say you, 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 you've hit something and, and they put a, I don't know what it is, a plug of sorts 
Mm. How safe is that? I don't even know what to call it. I don't know what it's called. I just know they just put some plug into mm. my tire to just hold um, the air in. Did that happen to you specifically, or are you more talking about something that you saw? It's well, it has happened to me before. Okay. But I have a mechanic who always says, "I do not want to see you with tires with those little things," and you know. But yeah. I, I well, okay. So first of all, the thing is with potholes is um, they can really damage the, the, the tire and in such a way that you can't drive the car anymore. So if you've hit a pothole, um, and apart from that, it can also bend the suspension, get your alignment out. So if you've hit it. Um, as soon as you get a chance, have a look at the tire. So um, stop the car, um, look at the sidewall, in other words, the side of the tire, look at the tread of the tire, um, uh, and actually turn the wheel if you there's a bit of space and then drive forward. So have a look at where the damage is. If there's damage on the sidewall, unfortunately, you've got to throw the tire away because the sidewall yeah. uh, is very thin. It looks okay because you think, hang on, it's quite strong, but um, it doesn't have to carry, it, if it, if you rest, the tire is resting on air. So any side or any little cut, any little bubble is, is life-threatening in my opinion. You've got to throw the tire away. Now, um, a pothole, a lot of the time, that's where the damage is. It doesn't really actually necessarily damage the tread because that part is actually quite strong. But um, you can get things like, you can actually you still get punctures in there. You can get things like screws in there and nails in there that tend to cut the the tread, um, and you can actually plug those without a problem. I remember doing, um, when I was still a few years back, we were driving, flat driving, so we were doing drive experience on, on the racetrack, and we had a, a fairly a brand new tire that had a puncture, and we put the right type of plug in it, and we kept driving on the track without issues, and I, you know, you can imagine there's a lot of load going through the tire, and I wasn't really worried. So when you're plugging the tire, it's really the type of plug that you put in there that makes the difference. So the you, if you want to plug it, uh, if you're in the middle of the Kalahari, so let's imagine in the Kalahari there's no other, no, no other solution, then for a short period you can put it a type of plug that you literally push from the outside into the tread with a very sticky glue and it lasts for a short time. And that's a good emergency thing for a very short time if there's literally nothing else. But wherever you're living, if there's any tire place, the right solution is what we call a mushroom plug. So they take the tire off the rim mm -hmm. and they clean it from the inside and it looks like a mushroom. So it's got a fat part and a similar part and they basically pull that from the outside um, out. In other words, the, the, the mushroom part then blocks the outside. So when you, and so they clean that up, they have a very uh, strong glue. And effectively when you pump up air into the tire, the air also pushes against that mushroom or uh, the flat part. And you've only got this thin little part on the outside that they normally cut off. And I've had a car with a mushroom plug and I've never worried about it. So actually, as long as it's a mushroom plug uh, and it's not the sidewall, I think you can go ahead and do it. It won't actually be an issue. But again, you know, you've got to go to where when you get good advice from the places that you are replacing the tires with. And if it's also, if it's a run flat tire, they won't normally plug it. Yeah. Because we don't, they don't know how long the tire has been flat. Um, and the damage on the run flat tire and the worry is actually not the tread part, but the sidewall part because you don't know how much damage is done to the sidewall. And the sidewall is always the, the issue and where these dangerous blowouts and, and dangerous things happen. Mm. Let's take a small break. I'm chatting to Nico Smith and, of course, taking your car questions right here on Jetset Breakfast on SAFM. And uh, just use our voice note number 0614104107 when we get back. Bertha Charuma 1 on Twitter. 
Yes, it is Jet Set Breakfast with Bertha Charuma up until 10 o'clock. And I'm talking to my petrol head. That's Nico Schmidt. Motoring, we all drive cars, taking our children to school, doing whatever, doing the rounds, whichever, however you're traveling. But I think most of us are very well acquainted with our vehicles. So, Nico, I just want to find out the most affordable or not even affordable, um, the most efficient car right now on the market. What is the most efficient car? Nico, I think I've just lost Nico there. Uh, We're talking about cars. And if you have any questions or any info, or maybe you have something to share that uh, maybe that can give us a little bit of education where motoring is concerned, please do share on our voice note, um, on our WhatsApp uh, voice note. That's 0614104107. Nico is back. Nico? Yes, Bertha. I was actually thinking while we were talking, um, about what, what to do if you do actually get a blowout. How do you actually handle that? Mm. Um, because um, uh, when you're driving, uh, uh, what, what a blowout is effectively is that uh, it's a sudden loss of tire pressure. And as soon as, let's imagine it's on the right-hand wheel, as soon as that right wheel loses pressure, uh, a lot of time it violently pulls you in the direction, uh, well, probably that's what's going to happen, it's going to pull you in that direction. So if the right loses tire, it's breaking if you give you the right of the car. It's almost like you're in water with a canoe and you stick one paddle in. Um, the car is violently going to turn to the right. So the biggest thing is to actually keep your wheels straight and um, as much as you can and not aggressively pull the car back or veer the car back into the lane because an aggressive pull in the opposite direction a lot of the time could really unsettle the car. So if you're driving and, and suddenly the car is putting to a direction, uh, just keep, you know, keep, I would say, a hard, firm grip on the wheel and just... Pull the car straight in time to get it straight in the lane and then start slowing down slowly, no aggressive braking. But any aggressive steering back or any aggressive braking could be um, if things then go from bad to worse. So it's effectively um, holding the car on, um, uh, holding a firm grip on the wheel and just keep it straight and then slowly try and um, um, then slow the car down and move out of the lane. Um, of course, it, it can be quite nerve-wracking if it happens to you. Uh, another thing as well, where possible, try not to stop in the fast lane. So imagine you're on the fast lane um, of a road or a highway somewhere and it happens. You need to try and get out of the fast lane to the uh, you know, left lane and then even pull off the road. It regularly, unfortunately, happens. What happens, not regularly, but it happens sometimes that people have accidents where they have a problem with the car, they stop, um, but they're not far enough left off the road. And another guy behind them is not really concentrating or looking down and literally drives into that car because it's sort of sticking out on the road. So if you do have a breakdown, as much as you can, you've got to try and get off the road um, where possible. If you have people in the car, let them get out and let them stand behind the barrier or somewhere in the felt far away from the car uh, because that's you know where the danger lies is when um, you haven't really moved away from the road surface and there's still other cars moving. But again, it depends on the situation. If there's lots of cars moving and you have no choice to stop in the fast lane, you know, that's what you've got to do. Mm. And I've got a voice note here. Uh, let's just go to the voice note. Good morning, Nico. Good morning to the team and the loyal listeners. Mr. Nico, why can't we have all car gears being fit in the same position you understand like if you check opel for example the reverse gear is honey is honestly a, a funny position that you have to turn the gear before you can get to the reverse unlike other cars that we just shifted maybe you turn right and then back you're sorted 
others you have to pull it down others you have to pull it up so why can't we have only one fixed position because the first gear second third fourth gear are all in the same slot is bramoro in bluefontein did you get that one yeah that's a great that's an interesting question so um so if you look at a manual car they all look the same uh, well actually not all i would say 99 percent of the time they look the same one two three four five some have six some even have seven um but when it gets to automatic gears, um, some manufacturers now have a big gear lever um, and it's big steps. And you, it's almost like a little pattern that you have to follow. Think of like a Toyota Hilux as an example. Um, some manufacturers um, have a gear lever that's electronic. So if you're moving it forwards or backwards, basically stay at the same um, position, it, it, it's an electronic signal. Some have a little a round thing that you turn to get to the gears. Um, I'm driving, as I said, an electric I-Pace. That actually has a button reverse drive neutral park it actually has a button and um, mercedes-benz has a stalk on the right hand side that you move to select your gear lever um, and the question is why aren't they the same it's a great question but it really comes down to the manufacturer's design and the manufacturer's preference because they want to also stand out and they want to be different um, ergonomically they might say this for us works the best so the, the way we design our cars is we feel that's the way we design them and our, people, our drivers like the way that um, our, our gears work. So you might find that Mercedes-Benz drivers very much like that stalk to change the gears because it's just next to the steering wheel. And you might find that um, the Toyota drivers like the way that that gear lever moves. So it really comes down to the manufacturers, um, the design process, what do they like and what is their preference. But what you're going to see more and more in automatic cars is it being an electronic signal as opposed to you really shifting the gear. So before, even in automatic, you shifted the car in gear. Now you're seeing it more, it's electronic. So it's, it can be a small little thing that you simply just move forwards or backwards. And you're not really putting the car in gear. There's an electronic signal that then puts the car in gear. Similarly, actually, what's happening, as I said, in a Mercedes-Benz. So it's really up to the manufacturer's design and what they like. But if you're driving lots of different cars, it can be sometimes confusing to say, hey, where the heck is this gear lever and how do I get myself going forward? <laughs> mm, that is so true. I've got another voice note. I think this one is going to wrap up uh, our conversation. Morning, SFM. And to listeners, it's Sullivan Gumler from Durban. Just like to ask Nico, Nico, one experience brake failure on their car driving on the freeway. What is the safest way to control the vehicle or handle the vehicle to ensure that nobody gets injured if one experiences a brake failure? Thank you. You're okay, I'll try and do that quickly. And um, the brakes don't normally fail. Um, they, they, they will give you an so the brake pedals will start getting soft. It feels like a sponge and longer. Then you have trouble. You need to fix it. But let's imagine like the movie, suddenly your brakes go. If you have a manual car, the best would be to try and use your gearbox to go through the gear. So literally, if you're on fifth, go to fourth release the clutch, go to third. If you have an automatic car, try and again use the gearbox. So if you literally, the gears just, or the brakes just fail, that's what I would do. But normally you'll get an, a signal that the brakes are going there. It won't just from go from hard brakes to nothing. Yeah. Well, Nico, thank you so much. My father taught me. He said when that happens, you, you, you pump the brakes very gently as if you're pumping, you know, I don't know, very gently and softly. And then eventually it slows down the car. It used to work then with the old guys. It, I don't it, know it about now. It will still work. It will still work. You can still pump the brakes. But uh, yeah, that's why. I, don't, I, had, I had little time. But yes, if you pump the brakes, it should work as well. Thank you so thank you so much, Nico. I will chat to you next week. Cannot wait for next week already.
Thank you. Have a lovely weekend. Same to you, Nico. That's uh, my petrol head. Um, and of course, giving us some insight where cars are concerned. Nico Smith, and he will be back next week. And make sure you keep uh, sending us those voice notes on 0614104107. Let's find out what's in the news.